0: Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. So this morning is a little bittersweet for me. On one hand, I will be very relieved to only have to focus on youth and children next week. But on the other hand, um, I've really enjoyed being able to just share my heart with you guys. Um, This wasn't just some series that we kind of pulled out of thin air and said, you know what, let's just do this series. Um, This has really just kind of been a peek into my own heart and what I've been yearning for in my own life, uh, for my family, and just also just what I really desire for the church. When I think about the church, what do I really want us to be? I want us to be a community that's growing and reaching out and impacting our families and impacting our community around us. Um, I mean, if we're not doing that, I, you know, it's like well, then we're just playing at something. Um, and so, this has really been a reflection of my own passion. So, in case I forget to say it later, uh, thank you for allowing me to share with you over these four weeks, and thank you also for the many gracious responses that I have received. Uh, for some of you who are joining us for the first time in the series, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, we've been discussing the topic of spiritual formation and how it looks in all areas of our life. Now, the first week, we asked the question, how is your soul? And we talked about the need to examine our lives on a daily basis and how that responsibility for our soul care lies with each of us. In fact, our motto throughout the series has been that personal spiritual growth is what? Okay, rem- remind you, I work with children and, and youth. I'm used to being interrupted. In fact, when it's too quiet, I'm alarmed that there might be some small animal being tortured in a corner somewhere, okay? so... I need some engagement so that I know that that's not going on. So, personal spiritual growth is? Thank you. It's intentional. It doesn't just happen to us. We have to choose to engage in it. The second week, we asked, How is your family? And we discussed how our family is our first church. And that as we nurture our own souls, we, we position ourselves to care effectively to tend for our own families. And finally, last week, we asked the question How is your work? We talked about how our mission field expands beyond our home and into the workplace, and essentially we work to give or to influence, that when we have that kind of an attitude, that all of our actions are focused on making the lives of those that we work with better. So this week I want to invite you into God's future, to join God's future, I should say, and answer the question, how is your calling? I wanted to do something different this morning because I want to leave room for God to speak to us individually with regards to the mission that he has for us in our own lives. In Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20, it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Now, this is known as the Great Commission, and and really what it is, it's kind of like the universal calling, right? Like all Christians have this calling. We all have this calling. And so the question is do you have a mission in life, or does a mission have you? Because in a day when our sense of calling is often rooted in our need to feel special and unique, isn't it odd that Jesus, in this passage that we just read, seems to give every Christian who ever lived the very same calling to make disciples? Now, I had this entire message worked out on Thursday. And then while taking a nap yesterday, one of my great pleasures in life, I was struck by Esther's story. Like, it just came to me while I was, you know, sleeping. And I'm like, Esther. And I thought, man, Esther's story fits perfectly with the message this morning. And so Esther's life really it beautifully illustrates this nature of calling in our lives and how there's this general calling. But then as we embrace that general calling... God begins to pull us through that and extend that calling to a very unique calling that is based on who we are. So if you don't know Esther's story, her story begins with her being born as an exile in Babylon to the name of Hadessa. Uh, It is believed that she changed her name to Esther so that she could fit in better with the Babylonian culture. Now, she was raised by her older cousin, Mordecai. Now, the thing to note here is that Esther remained in Babylon along with many other Jews who chose not to return to Judea when they had the opportunity under King Cyrus. But by this time, Esther grew. King Xerxes, am I saying that right, Ed? Xerxes Xerxes reigned in Babylon. And then Esther had grew to become a very beautiful woman. So one day while King X, that's what I'm going to call him, was having a week-long party. He demanded for his queen, Queen Vashti, to basically be paraded in front of him and his guests. He basically wanted to show all his buddies the kahat my wife is. Well, she was having her own shindig at the the time, and so she was like, nah, I'm good. So she basically (laughs) blew him off. Didn't come. So the king wasn't very happy with this, so after deciding in his rage, he banished her from his presence forever. So once the king had a cooler head, though, he realized... He needed to have a queen by his side, so they hatched up this plan to search through the Babylonian Empire to find King Xerxes' next queen. Essentially, this was the prequel to The Bachelor. Now, on a side note, I don't watch that show, okay? It's just impossible not to know it exists. So if you watch it, grace. It's beneath you, but grace, okay? I'm just kidding. So... (laughs) Her cousin Mordecai, so Esther enters into this ultimate showdown for royalty, and her cousin Mordecai kind of takes on this role as her agent, right? You know, he's giving her tips on what to do, and he's checking in on her progress every day. And eventually, Esther has her debut before the king, and he was blown away. He was so pleased with Esther that he placed the royal crown on her head and officially declared Vashti deposed of her position as queen. Now, Mordecai, her uncle, took on a position as a palace official. And then Mordecai was actually very helpful to the king because he uncovered a plot to assassinate the king and he shared it with Esther so that she could in turn inform the king. Now Esther was very wise because she made sure that the king knew that hey, Mordecai is the one who uncovered this sinister plot. Now a side note here is that Esther under the direction of her uncle Mordecai had concealed her Jewish nationality up to this point. It was a secret. Nobody knew. So Things seem to be going well for Esther and Mordecai. Enter Haman. Everybody say boo. Yes, you're allowed to boo in church. Not me, but you can boo Haman. So Haman had fallen into favor with the king, or he rose into favor maybe, and was promoted to a position above all the other nobles. Now this immediately went to Haman's head, and he lorded his authority over others. The tradition was that all the king's officials would bow down to Haman whenever he passed by as a, a sign of respect. So everyone obliged to this except for Mordecai. He wasn't having any of it. Now, Haman got wind of this and became enraged. And even when others tried to go to Mordecai, and they're like, dude, what are you doing? You're you're like, you're totally getting him upset. You know, they kept pushing him on this and pushing him on this. And, you know, eventually came out that, you know, I'm Jewish. And it's just not going to happen. I'm not going to bow down to that man. So Haman got it in his mind to punish Mordecai. But instead of just punishing Mordecai, he determined in his mind to punish all the Jewish people in the Babylonian Empire. So Haman came up with this cunning plan that included bribery to convince the king that he had no need for any Jews in his kingdom, that they were a threat, and that he should let Haman put them all to death. I mean, that seems fair, right? You don't bother me. I just slaughter all your people. So Haman had the king send out a decree that by a certain date, all the Jews in the empire were to be executed and then everyone could just kind of loot their belongings. So as this confusion just kind of in, just engulfs on the land to this bizarre command, this weird thing happens. King Xerxes and Haman, they sit down and, and, and have a drink. It's like, what would you do today? No, I just ordered the slaughter of a bunch of people. Want to have a drink? Sure. Okay. And, and, and the Bible thought it was necessary to mention that. So while they're having a drink, Mordecai, well, he's falling into despair. And then as the news of this horrible command starts reaching the ears of all the Jewish people, they take to the streets in mourning, you know, wearing sackcloth and ash and, you know, sometimes they'd rip their beards out. I mean, that's, I just can't imagine. So when Queen Esther caught wind of Mordecai in the streets, wailing in burlap and ashes, she sends out one of her attendants to find out from Mordecai, hey, what's going on? And when the attendant spoke to Mordecai, he gave him the entire story and then he told him to ask Queen Esther to approach the king and beg for mercy for her people. Now, Esther responded kind of like, I don't know, I really can't do this. It was against the law to approach the king without being summoned. I mean, if she did, she could be put to death. And what's more, he hasn't even asked for her like in 30 days. So there's no telling when he's going to ask for her. Now, the only exception to this law of her approaching the king is that if he was pleased with her presence, if he just was in a good mood, and he extended his golden scepter out to her, her life would be spared. So Mordecai latches onto this one little tiny hope, this one little sliver of hope, and he essentially says, that's the game plan. That's what we got to do. And I like how he ends his response to Esther. Listen to this. He says, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. So Esther responds, I'm in. Let's do this. Have all the people fast completely for three days, I will do the same, and though it may cost me my life, I will approach the king. So after three days, she approaches the king and invites him and Haman for a party over at her place. After two nights of whining and dining, she had the king in some pretty good spirits, and so she asked him for a favor. He's like, what do you want? Name it. And so when he consented, she asked for her life and for the lives of her people to be spared. Of course, the king is like, what are you talking about? And so she reveals the plan that Haman had to to have her and all her people slaughtered. And this set the king off in a rage. So to kind of sum up the rest of the story, in the long run, Haman was put to death, Mordecai was honored, and Esther convinced the king to reverse the decree that had been sent out to have all the Jewish people put to death. So in Esther's story, we can see three things about our calling in our own life. And the first is that God has a burning desire So in this overall arching calling, this universal calling that we're all a part of, God has a burning desire, and his burning desire is for people. In Esther's story, God's desire was for the welfare of his chosen people, the Israelites. His actions through the life of Esther and Mordecai orchestrated their survival in a foreign land. But the key, the key was for Esther and Mordecai to look past their own personal desires and see God's desires. I mean, think about it. Esther could have completely just kept quiet and avoided the whole thing. She would have been just fine. All the rest of the people would have been murdered, but she would have lived a very well and happy life. But Mordecai helped her see the big picture. He helped her see God's desire for all the Jews in that circumstance. And often I have to ask myself, and I'm asking you this morning, do your own desires naturally seem to take precedence over God's I mean, whose dreams, when you wake up in the morning, are you really seeking to fill? John Wimber, who was the founder of our our church association, often said that the work of Jesus is everyone's calling. That we're to love the unlovable, serve our enemies, care for the poor, strengthen the weak, heal the sick, equip the saints, and do the works of the kingdom. And God's desires aren't any secret. In the most recognizable verse in Scripture, John 3.16, it tells us but this is how God loved the world. God loves the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God has a burning desire for people, and he wants them to have eternal life. So God's love for the world must become our love for the world. His desires must become our own. It's really that simple. So once we gravitate towards God's desires... We begin to see that God has a brilliant design. So God has this burning design, but God also has a brilliant design. And this is where our unique calling starts coming into shape, right? We have this universal calling that we're all a part of. And then as we start living a life of obedience in that, God starts expanding on that. And we start to see our unique calling. He has a brilliant design. Now, I'm sure Esther wasn't clear about God's ultimate design when she was thrust into the Bachelor series of King Xerxes. However, because she trusted God and lived her life in a way to seek his desires for her life, she was perfectly positioned to rescue her people from annihilation. God even strengthened their position by allowing Mordecai through providence to overhear and uncover a plot to assassinate the king, which again added to him having high regard with the king. Now, the interesting thing about this story is that Esther and Mordecai had to lean into their unique gifting to make this work, right? Esther had to use her beauty and leverage her position. Mordecai had to use his wits, and he was this guy that was just constantly had his ear to the ground, and he was finding things out. It would have been easy for them to just simply wish that they had someone else's circumstances or despair over what they didn't have. I mean, do you actually love who God has uniquely made you to be? Or do you constantly compare yourself to others? I mean, let's be honest. If you spend any amount of time on social media or watching any form of entertainment, you easily find yourself falling into that comparison trap. Because we're convinced that our lives would be better if you know, we had what someone else had. A nicer vehicle, a better paying job, maybe a more helpful spouse, maybe better looks. Regardless of what comparison we do look at, there will always be someone who has something better. I like what the author David Getz said in his book, Death by Suburb. I love that title. And I'm paraphrasing it here. But he said, our root issue is that we perpetually look up the demographic food chain, always noticing what we lack in comparison to those who will always have more than us. What we need to do is start looking down the demographic food chain and realize how much we already have. And in that, we also need to realize that each of us is made unique in the glorious image of God and that we are already very, very special. Look at what Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians twelve seven: A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Our special reflection of God's heart is shaped by our genetics, our personality, our upbringing, our way of thinking, our skill set, our inclinations, and just our natural giftedness. It's all precious to him. We are each like a stained glass through which God's light uniquely streams. But catch the last part of that verse. So we can help each other. The purpose of God's brilliant design is for the benefit of others. Now once Esther had grabbed onto God's desires and began to see his brilliant design in her own story, she was ready to discover his bright destiny for her and really for us all. And that brings us to our third point, that God has a burning desire, that God has a brilliant design, and thirdly, God has a bright destiny for us all. In Esther's case, her destiny led to the survival of all the Jewish people living in the Babylonian Empire during the reign of King X. Your destiny may be a little different, but it isn't less significant. There is a huge world of people that are out there that our Heavenly Father is madly in love with. And the good news of God's resurrecting love and His new creation, it's for everyone. But it's going to take all of us participating in order to get that great destiny realized. You see, through our individual design, God will lead us to these delightful and stunning opportunities to extend His loving kingdom. But what often gets missed is that our calling is actually our best life, which is why it's so unique to each of us. Our calling isn't a chore or a duty that we just have to do. It's literally at the center of the best life that God had designed and intended for us. But what makes this difficult is that many of us, we've already drawn up for ourselves what we think is the best life for us, right? We've allowed our culture or our own selfish desires to inform what we think or what we hope would be our best life. But I think that history can teach us that when our best life isn't informed by God, it will ultimately disappoint us in the end. See, it is every human being's calling to know God and to be made whole by God. Our true calling is to develop this intimate exchange of life with God and to help others who are within our sphere of influence experience the same. It starts with us, it extends to our family, it reaches into our work, and then it flows into our natural calling on a daily basis which really points us back to the very first message of this series, that our need to care for our souls is primary. It's the most important thing. And we have to so that this flow, this ripple effect, it remains steady, it remains healthy and growing. Look at what Paul says in Philippians 3, 10 through 12. He says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. You see, Paul knew what his calling in life was, but more than that, he knew it was a lifelong journey. There really wasn't any final destination for him or even for us on this side of heaven. But he knew that each effort he made to stay at the center of his calling was the potential to grow the kingdom of God that much more. You see, our our mission, our mission, our mission, our mission, our message. You get him. Our mission is based on a message. Some call it the gospel. Some call it the good news. But this morning, I want us to read the Nicene Creed together. You see, all around the world today, many followers of Christ are proclaiming this creed today. It's a declaration, a manifesto, if you will, of what is at the core of what we believe. And we need to share these truths with others who don't know them. So let's read together. Just indulge me, we'll read it out loud together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, Through the prophets, we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Now, just a reminder so that there's no confusion, that statement of one holy Catholic church, it really just means universal church. It's talking about a church that's united around these common truths. Ask yourself this morning, is there much about who God is? and who i am that i have yet to discover of course there is if you don't know your unique calling there's a lot for you to still discover now we're going to do something that might seem a little uncomfortable for some of you so i apologize in advance where well, we're going to have a time of solitude and silent prayer where we're just going to ask the holy spirit to speak I want us to be sure of our universal calling, but what I'm hoping that for some of you, that you will begin to see the unique calling that God has designed for you in your life. And it's not something we can just really figure out on our own. We have to seek his face. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to speak. And so when I have times of silent prayer and solitude, I just, I'll close my eyes, I'll just... You know, I'm quiet, and I'll use these little prayers, these centering prayers that help me just kind of refocus. I'm trying to clear my mind of distractions, and whenever I feel my mind kind of drifting, you know, thinking about the dogs haven't been fed or whatever else may enter into there, I just reorient myself by just saying, Come, Holy Spirit. Or I'll simply just say, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it just centers me. You may find your own centering prayer at some point, but those are the two that I kind of cling to. So we're just going to take about two or three minutes, and it may be the most powerful two or three minutes of your life, or it may be the most awkward two or three minutes of your life. Either way, you'll survive, and, and, and you'll be able to go on with the rest of your day, and I promise there will be no bloodshed, okay? But really want to give you an opportunity to clear your mind and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And so just, if we can, bring the lights down maybe a little bit. I will even... Um, often close my own eyes or I'll even put my hands over my eyes just so I can try to focus on nothing and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak. And so Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would speak, that you would just come and have your way, that you would show us beyond just our existence, the purpose that you've created us for. We place ourselves before you in humility and we ask that you would just speak to our hearts. Show us what our calling is. And so just come, Holy Spirit. Have your way. Well, while we're all in an attitude of praise, let's just conclude in prayer. Lord, satisfy us with your love this morning, and we will live this day in joy and praise. Mighty God, we thank you for the resurrection dawn, bringing the glory of our risen Lord, who makes every day new. This morning, we thank you for the beauty of your creation. Help us to care for it. We thank you for the new creation in Christ and all gifts of healing and forgiveness, Lord, we thank you for the sustaining love of family and friends. And Father, we thank you for fellowship of faith in this church. Merciful God, would you renew this weary world, heal the hurts of all your children, and bring about your peace for all in Christ Jesus, who is the living Lord. We especially pray for those who govern nations of the world, Lord, that you give us leaders who have humble hearts and who see themselves as ultimately as servants. Father, we pray for the people and countries that are ravaged by strife or warfare, Lord, that you would bring peace to their lands and justice where necessary. We pray for all who work for peace and international harmony, Lord, that you would sustain the work that they're doing and bless it. God, we pray for all who strive to save the earth from destruction, Lord, that we would join them in creation care. And we pray for the church of Jesus Christ in every land, that it would rise up in power through your Holy Spirit and proclaim your truth, not just in boldness, but with love, Lord. And we pray all these things. May the grace of God be with us all now and always in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, bless you guys this week. Marty will be back next week if he escapes from the bizarre motorcycle cult that abducted him and named him the Grand Poopah. Um... If you're new here, I would love to meet you. Um, And if you have something you would like prayer for, please come up and let us pray with you. Otherwise, have a great week. Stay cool.